we, we exceeded our liberty last night, didn't we? Uh, you, are you guys worn out yet? Oh, good for you, man. I, I love y'all. You guys are wonderful, for real, man. Um, so, yeah, last night we, uh, we got busy in here. It almost felt like uh, one of our morning sessions. Uh, and, you know, I, I know when we get into this subject matter, there, there are some times where it does get technical uh, because it's just a technical matter. And so we have to cover that ground. Uh, thank you very much for working with me last night. I really did feel like you guys were, were trying to do that. Uh, one of the young ladies in the middle school, uh, one of the workers came up and said, I, I, just, I just wanted you to see her, her notes. And I'm telling you, there was not a blank white space on her notes from middle school, mind you. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's awesome. When the middle school schoolers are working to get it, praise God, that's a good church right there <laughs> uh, with good leadership. Uh, but, uh, okay, so if you have been going to the morning sessions, and again, for those of you that are locals and are unable to, to do that, again, I want to say to you, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm just trying to set things up to drive you deeper into the subject so that you will get the nitty-gritty, okay? And, and so what, what, I, what my, my goal for tonight is, is to kind of turn a, a corner on the week, if you will, because after tomorrow night, okay, we're done. That's it. And so as I was preparing and just knowing everything I was going to say and anticipating what the brothers in the morning are saying, I kind of felt like, you know, we might get to a place of overload, and I wanted to make sure that we spent the time to just kind of take all of this and get some handles on some things that we need to make sure that we're carrying away. Because sometimes, as you're talking about, wow, the issues can miss you. And, uh, and, and so what, what I want to do tonight is get very, very practical on this subject and uh, just make sure that we all are understanding these basic things that, in my estimation, point to the real issues of what's taking place in the Laodicean church period. Don't ever forget what time it is. <laughs> okay, and that will tell you a lot on this issue just by understanding the letter written to the Laodiceans and understanding that is representative of what Jesus sees when he looks into this period of time that you and I are doing life in. That'll help you immensely. Now, I've titled this The Top Seven Reasons We're Not Crazy for Taking a King James Version Only Position. Uh, and I, I will say to you, maybe for some of, uh, some of you new believers, uh, some of you people that uh, you know, are not real far along in your journey, um, I, 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 I probably ought to tell you <laughs> that you're going to be called a freak for believing that you are holding in your hand the words of God. And, wow, when you start hearing that about a thousand times, you might start wondering, man, are, are, are we whack? <laughs> and I don't think we're whack, y'all. <laughs> everything that we're learning would point to something different. And, and so... Uh, I know seven of these sounds big. We're only going to cover two tonight. And I'm going to spend most of the time on the, the first one. So if you're getting nervous uh, about, oh, doggone, how long is he going to go on this first one? Um, just understand, that, that one's the one I'm going to hang on the rim on. Okay, so here's the number one reason we're not crazy for taking a King James Version only position. Because of the Bible's certainty 
that the words of truth are somewhere on this planet. <laughs> and that sounds real basic. I want to make sure that you understand that simple little issue. The certainty of the words of truth are somewhere on this planet. We've talked about this verse several times through the week. The theme verse for this conference has been Proverbs 22 and verse 21, which says, listen to it now, that I may make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. And the fact is, y'all, if we're going to know the words of truth and we're going to have the certainty of those words, it only stands to reason that those words actually exist. That those actual words are somewhere. And, and, and sure, we all believe, I don't care what, where you land on this whole issue, we all believe, Psalm 119, verse 89, that those words are forever settled in heaven, but that, listen, y'all, that's not the same as believing that the settled word is located somewhere on the earth. Hey, if it's just up there, we ain't going to know the certainty of those words. It has to be located somewhere on the earth. And I'm sure that there's some of you that are, are thinking right now, well, come on, Pastor Mark. I mean, doesn't, doesn't everybody believe that they're somewhere on the earth? I mean, everybody believes that, right? And, and, and listen, y'all, this is the crazy thing about this whole subject. Do you realize that the only people who believe the certain and settled and pure words of God are actually on this planet are the King James Version only people? And I know many of you that are hearing me say that right now are thinking, are you a raging lunatic? I mean, how in the world could you make such a preposterous and outlandish statement as that? Well, the reason that I can is because it's true. And I'll explain to you why I make such a ludicrous claim that we're the only ones that believe that a perfect Bible on the earth actually exists. But before I do that, I, I do think it brings up uh, a, a, an issue. Maybe some of the guys are going to talk about this tomorrow. I don't, I don't know, but just in case the point gets missed, let, let me just ask you, have you ever thought about the fact that you have never in your life encountered somebody that took a New international version only position? Have you ever thought about the fact no New American Standard version only, no New King, King James version only, no English Standard version only, no New Living Translation only? For real, have you ever thought about that? And, and we'd have to look at that and go, why is that? Now, I know how our opponents view that. Because you guys are the only ones that are that big of idiots. <laughs> okay, but if, is, that, is that really the truth, y'all? I mean, think about it. Is it that we are really the only ones that are that stupid? Or do you think that maybe there could be some other reason and I would submit to you tonight that there is another reason, and the reason is this. King James' only people are the only ones who believe that God's word and words, and I'm talking about those words which Proverbs 22, 21 say that we can be certain those words that Proverbs 30 and verse 5 say are pure. Those words that Psalm 119 verse 89 says is forever settled. Listen, the reason that the only people who believe those words can actually be found on this planet are King James people is because only King James Version people 
believe that a perfect Bible exists. And you say, that is the issue. And I'm asking you to hear me out on this because, listen, the, the issue is really bigger than the version you use. The, the issue actually is what a person believes about where the Bible actually is. And again, I'm talking about the inspired, infallible, inerrant Bible that we would refer to as the Holy Scriptures. And, and I think that you realize, and if you don't realize it, let me enlighten you, okay? Just about anybody who is anybody in quote-unquote mainstream Christianity believes that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God in its original manuscripts. And, and, and listen, if you, if you doubt that, that is what gets written into their official documents of their church. It, it's what gets posted on the What We Believe section of their websites. And, and you may be thinking, well, uh, I, I thought that you just said that King James Version only people were the only ones who believed that an inspired, infallible, and inerrant Bible exists. I mean, they believe that a perfect Bible exists. It's just that they believe that it's in a different place than you. They think it's in the original manuscripts. And that sounds all well and good. But this is what I like to refer to, and I think I put it in your notes this way, the fallacy of believing in the original manuscripts. And to make sure that you understand and really see this issue for what it is, I've pulled from what I would consider a cross-section of mainstream churches to show you how this actually plays out. Okay, I mean, by their own words... Okay, uh, Grace Community Church in, uh, in California where John MacArthur is the pastor. This is their doctrinal statement or a portion of it. Under the section, the Holy Scriptures. We teach that the Bible is God's written revelation to man and thus the 66 books of the Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit constitute the plenary, inspired equally in all parts, that's the word plenary, words of God. And here's our verses to prove that. We teach that the word of God is an objective, propositional revelation, whatever that means, verbally inspired in every word. Absolutely inerrant in the original documents infallible and God breathed and it goes on from there with literally about six other paragraphs that have these over-the-top words about that book in the original manuscripts but do recognize that all these wonderful things that we just read that they believe about the Bible is everything that was said before and after those four infamous words in the original manuscripts, do you understand that the Bible that they're talking about doesn't have anything to do with any Bible that the people in that church read, study in their homes, carry into their church building, or the pastor preaches from on a Sunday morning? What they believe by their own qualification, in their own carefully crafted doctrinal statement, and I guarantee you they labored over that, is limited to and confined to what's in the original manuscripts. Parkside Church, some of you may be familiar with Alistair Begg up in the north part of uh, our state here. Uh, up in uh, the Cleveland area. Well-known preacher throughout the, our country. We, we accept the scriptures 
as our only authority in matters of faith and practice and our interpretation of Bible doctrine leads us inexorably to believe. We don't just believe it, we inexorably believe it. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament is being verbally inspired by God and inerrant and infallible in the original writings and that they are supreme and the final authority. In First Baptist of Dallas, Pastor Robert Jeffress, uh, this is the guy that is the kind of the religious representative of the conservatives on uh, one of the news networks. He, he says, uh, that church, in their doctrinal statement of the scriptures, says, the Holy Bible is written by men divinely inspired and is the record of God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. It is inerrant and infallible. Hmm. In its original manuscript, which is to be taken verbally as verbally inspired, and just one more, First Baptist Atlanta, Charles Stanley. This doctrinal statement reflects the broad, mainstream, conservative, evangelical tradition, which is consistent with the teachings of the Bible and which has stood the test of history and experience. We specifically affirm the following doctrinal truths, and here's what they say about the Scriptures. We believe that the entire Bible is inspired the inspired word of god and that men of god were moved by the holy spirit to write the very words of scripture the bible is therefore without error it inerrant in its original manuscripts isn't it weird how this keeps showing up god has supernaturally preserved the bible and it is the sole and final authority for faith and life providing encouragement guidance comfort and instruction for training in righteousness okay and again i i just wanted you to see what is really out there in quote unquote conservative evangelicalism uh mainstream Christianity. Okay, now, every single one of those, for the most part, and all the ones for sure we looked at, are going to have those four words carefully injected into them. Now, I, I don't want to sound crass. I don't want to be sarcastic. I don't want to sound like an idiot. I am an idiot. I just don't want to sound like one. But listen, all of those statements that we just read make absolute perfect sense if you don't think about it. Okay, and, and what I'm asking you to do tonight is I want you to think with me about it for just a couple of minutes, okay? Because, okay, this is why all of those flowery statements that we just read, here's why they don't make any sense. Okay, here it comes. It's because there is nobody anywhere on this planet, no matter where you go, no matter how connected they are, no matter how many degrees they have after their name, who has ever at any time read from an original manuscript, much less seen an original manuscript, much less even seen a stinking picture of an original manuscript. I mean, it's not like the original manuscripts 
are locked up somewhere and it's just that they're not accessible to the common man. No. The craziness is, y'all, they don't exist. Are you hearing that? They don't exist. But you see, when these churches and these institutions of higher learning talk about believing the Bible is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God in the original manuscripts, it sounds like that there is a Bible somewhere that is a, a compilation of these original manuscripts when the fact is, y'all, there has never been a time in history when the Bible ever existed as a compilation of original manuscripts. So grab this. To say, as these doctrinal statements have just clearly said, to say that the Bible and what you believe about the Bible is that it is inspired in the original manuscripts. Do you understand what you're actually saying by saying you believe that? It's actually to say you don't believe that the Bible, and again, I'm talking about the one that is inspired, infallible, and errant. It's to say that you don't believe that Bible exists on this planet. And again, I don't want to sound crass or sarcastic, but what I truly believe with everything that is in me is that if that's what you believe about the Bible, the most, and again, this is where it sounds so rough, but the most honest way of communicating what you actually believe would be to say, listen, we don't believe that the inspired, infallible, and inherent Bible exists anywhere on this planet. We believe when God gave the writings of Scripture in his inspired words, that they were in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. But those documents that those words were written on quite simply don't exist anymore. So we believe that our best shot as humans at this thing is to get as close to the ideas that God was originally conveying by trying to determine what are the best manuscripts available to us and trust the most educated and gifted scholars of our time to tell us what is the closest to the originals. Okay, now let, let me tell you, if you, they were going to be honest, that's what they would say. But I can tell you that they will... Never, ever, ever put something like that in print or verbalize that to their people on a Sunday morning. Because in reality, listen, that's exactly what those over-the-top doctrinal statements about the Bible are actually saying. It's exactly what it means. When you say that you believe the original authors were inspired and the words that originally got put on those pages were given by verbal plenary inspiration and are infallible and inerrant in the original manuscripts, what you're really saying is, okay, so the Bible is in the original manuscripts, but... Those original manuscripts don't exist. So the end result is we really don't believe that an inspired Bible exists anywhere. And, and, and I've got to tell you, it seems very ingenuous to me to not really believe that a perfect Bible exists 
and form carefully crafted statements to make people think that you do. Hey, just tell people what you believe, man. You got the section on your website, and you're telling, this is what we believe. And that's what you believe. If you believe, they are in something that doesn't exist. Does that, does that make sense to you, y'all? Okay, be that as it may, all of these conservative churches and institutions of higher learning, they're still going to tell their people that they need to take the Bible that they have, and though they wouldn't say it, it's, it's behind the scenes, even though it's not really the inspired word and words of God, but they're still going to tell their people that, man, Getting in the Bible is very important, and they would encourage their people to read it. They would encourage their people to study it, though there's not a one of those churches that are using a Bible that is going to say that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Did you know that? Doesn't exist in any book other than the King James Bible. But they're going to be told, read it, man, and study it, and memorize it, and share it. Because even though this isn't the actual words of God, the general meaning is there. And, and God can certainly use it. He can use it as, as his word to you. And so regardless of what translation you use, now in our church we kind of prefer this one, but it really doesn't matter which one you use. And, and when we hear that, we go, aw. <laughs> Man, that, that sounds so Christian. That sounds so spiritual and, and loving and non-divisive and just so doggone refreshing. And listen, y'all, if we didn't know anything about history, we might get ourselves sucked into that vortex. But listen, if you know what has shaken out in history, here comes sarcastic Mark again. Most pastors do not have a clue about anything that happened in history. Boring but if you know history, y'all, when, when you hear this modern, middle-of-the-road position on the Word of God, that the, it, it's not really the words that are important as long as the idea is there. So it really doesn't matter what translation you use and all of this. If you know history, you say, hmm, hold up. This, this, this smells like something Christianity stepped in before. <laughs> so, will you allow me to give you just a short, little, pretty crazy lesson on history about what was taking place on, on this planet about 125 years or so ago? Okay, so you know, this isn't going to be deep, y'all. So just, so just hang, hang with it. Okay, back in the first part of the last century. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the early 1900s. There was a battle that was raging in Christianity between the liberals and the conservatives, and of course the truth is the liberals and the conservatives are always battling about something, but this was different. I mean, this was, this was a biggie, y'all. In fact, it was so big that uh, it, it, the response to the controversy by the conservatives was that they were commissioned, they got a group of men together to write what were the great fundamentals of the faith? And by the time they were finished with the work, it was a five-volume thing on the great fundamentals of the faith, and it was entitled, The Fundamentals. 
They didn't have creative titles back in those days. The fundamentals. And the people who believed the fundamentals, you might never have guessed, were called fundamentalists. Okay, so that's where the term originated, okay? If you don't know, okay, the doctrinal statement of this church or virtually any of the churches in the Living Faith Fellowship, if you believe what's in those doctrinal statements, you are a fundamentalist, or at least that's how you would have been labeled in the first part of the last century. And the truth is, the fundamentalists back in those days wore that title with some pretty good pride, man. But back in the day, what those fundamentalists were actually reacting against was this thing that's called German rationalism. And what German rationalism is, is a system of thought that was popularized by Friedrich Nietzsche. You probably remember that name from school. And there were others that were involved, but he's kind of the ringleader. And again, this is all taking place in the first part of the last century. And it was a system of thought, this German rationalism. It was a system of thought that had a great impact on everything that happened in the 20th century. And what it really was is this, this idea that God is dead. Have you ever heard that little phrase? Okay, it comes from German rationalism, Friedrich Nietzsche, and, and, and the, these others. God is dead. Jesus is just a myth. Uh, I, I looked in Compton's encyclopedia to see what it would say about Nietzsche. Nietzsche saw a civilization so self-confident over its mastery of science, technology, politics, and economics that for it, God is dead. Belief in the Christian God has become unworthy of belief. And so the German rationalists obviously denied that the word of God is the Bible is the word of God. They, they said that Genesis wasn't written by Moses, but it actually had five different authors, and Daniel wasn't written by Daniel, and some written by some guy long after Daniel was dead. And rather than being prophetic, they said it had all been written after the events had already been detailed in the book, and it just all, all this kind of trash. And so the, the fundamentalists rose up, and they stood for the Word of God. And, and the fact that... This was the very word and words of God. So obviously, there were two very, two distinct opposing sides, the liberals and the fundamentalists. But then, a little later on, in the 1920s and the 1930s, another group comes along, and they called themselves the Neo-Orthodox, or the the New Orthodox. Okay, these would have been the progressive, progressives of their day. And, and, and here's the, the way it shook out. They, they, they wanted to be identified as Orthodox in what they believed, but they didn't want to go as far as the fundamentalist, but they didn't want to go, and they didn't go as far as the German rationalists either. And so you know what they did? You can see it, can't you? They took this nice, lukewarm, Laodicean position right in the middle. And basically what they said is, okay, you, you fundamentalists believe that every word in that book is the words of God and that they are to be taken literally. And you guys say that it's over on this side, you, you, you liberals say that it's not the word of God at all, but the, the real truth is on this thing is it's not what you fundamentalists say, and it's not what you liberals say, but the fact is the Bible becomes the word of God to you. Now, this isn't actually the word of, of God here. But, 
as you read it, it becomes the Word of God to you. And God, through it, speaks to you. Okay, And their belief was that, again, it wasn't the words themselves that were important, but the thoughts, as long as the thoughts were getting across. And for all practical purposes, that is neo-orthodoxy. And listen, man, the fundamentalists were all over that. And the truth is, it was such a ridiculous position, it really didn't last that long at all. It never really got a, 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 a big following. It was viewed as extreme. So the vast majority of people claiming to be Christians during this time held firm in their belief that the Bible is the very word and words of God. And so the battle was fought and laid to rest. Or was it? Listen now. Because the reality is, you go to some pastor's conference, like we've held here with our group, but you, you go to some of these pastor's conferences out there, and here are all of these men, and their doctrinal statement would read like the ones that we've read before, and they are very fundamental in all, virtually all of the things that is in their doctrinal statement, and yet all of these pastors are using different versions of the Bible, Bibles that use different words and convey different thoughts and have different meanings based off of the words that have been translated. And if you were to ask these men, hey, how could this possibly be? You know what they would tell you? Well, you know, it's not the words of the Bible that are really important as long as the, the correct thought gets communicated. Wait a minute. I, I thought that's what the neo-Orthodox believed. It is. Same exact thing. So check this out, y'all. Do you recognize what happened? The old neo-Orthodox has become the neo-fundamentalist. And you see, listen, back in the 20s and 30s, and this is in your notes, what would have been the extreme view then has become the norm now. And what was the norm then has become the extreme now. You following that? And now, listen y'all, because we believe that the Bible we hold in our hands is the very word and words of God, listen, the same belief that fundamentalists have always dogmatically held to and fought for, now, fundamentalists call us... Mm, Heretics, cultish, uh, rednecked, bibliolaters, we worship the Bible, for believing what fundamentalists have always believed. <laughs> and I tell you, y'all, it's one of the, 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 the craziest flip-flops in my mind in the history of of the church, maybe only to be rivaled by the flip-flop that Satan orchestrated under Constantine when pagan Roman, that pagan Roman system became the papal Roman system under the heading of Christianity. <laughs> I, I, I want to say to you, y'all, with just a little history lesson, we find out we're not the crazy ones in this story. I, I, maybe I overdid the point. I, I don't know. I just want to make sure you, you know you're not crazy for the position that you hold on that book because 
that was normal Christianity a hundred years ago. And what was the extreme were the whacked out loons. Tell me who the crazy one is this, in this story. Okay, so why are we not crazy? Number one, because of the Bible's certainty that the words of truth are somewhere on this planet. And again, to say that they're in the original manuscripts is actually to say they aren't anywhere. Okay, which leads to the second reason that we're not crazy for holding the position that we hold concerning the Bible. Number two, because we believe that God's final authority is a book, not a man. You, you say, well, well, I'm, not, I, I'm writing it, but I'm not sure what I'm writing. <laughs> okay, what, what I'm saying is, is this. And I know I keep saying this tonight. I'm not trying to be a horse's patoot tonight, but I really am just trying to be as honest and as real as we can be about the issues of this subject, okay? If you say, as these doctrinal statements we just read, if you say that your final authority is the original manuscripts, the final authority is actually you. <laughs> or your spiritual guru. <laughs> okay, and, and you're listening to a guy tonight that in the early days of my ministry, I had a spiritual guru. I, I graduated from college, and I could tell you about doctrine but I could no more teach the book of Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or name one verse by verse than the man in the moon. And in those early days, I, I heard John MacArthur for the first time, and I went, <gasps> I think that's what we're supposed to be doing, preaching the Bible. the way that he laid it out for us. And, and so I was an accident waiting to happen, okay? Because I, I, I was in the ministry <laughs> and could no more teach a book of the Bible than the man in the moon. And so I adopted via cassette tape in those days. Okay, now for you younger people, cassette tapes were... <laughs> It was the coolest thing ever because we had eight tracks before that. <laughs> that in the middle of songs would, and then the rest of the song would go on. Okay? So I became, I became a tape junkie. Uh, I don't know if you've ever shared your story with them, but Pastor Jeff's story is a very similar one. Uh, he, in fact, he worked for their tape ministry back in the day. Am I, am I throwing you under the bus by that, bro? <laughs> so it's his fault. He was producing the tapes that I was listening to. <laughs> but, okay, so, I, 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 listen, he's the man. He is the authority, and I'm not recognizing what's happening. Okay, so I'm listening. This is one of the first times that it kind of got on my radar. I'm, I'm listening to him preach in the book of Romans in chapter 6 and verse 1. Do we have that verse? And, and, and back in these days, he was still using the King James Version, so I'm following along fine and you know, not, not smelling anything. And, and, and so he he's, comes to verse 1 and he's covering that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, that, th th this is what's on the table. Now, that translation, God forbid, oh, it is such a, a violation of the, the truth of this passage because in the Greek, this is so much more forceful. The, the Greek literally says, may it never be. 
I put it on pause and I thought, what? May it never be is a lot stronger than God forbid? <laughs> this, is, this is the honest gospel truth. And I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, um, what just happened here? <laughs> I, because rather than advocating the Bible, it, it sounded like he was actually a, a critic of the Bible. And, and, and I thought to my poor, pea-brained, not highly educated self, wow, how educated do you have to be? Or how arrogant do you have to be to see yourself as a critic of the very book you've written books about to tell people that the Bible is sufficient? And I thought to myself, how sufficient do you have to see yourself? If you are more sufficient than what you're telling everybody else is totally sufficient. <laughs> Similar thing happened to, uh, to me when I was listening to 1 John. He was my guru. I, I'm, I'm thinking all these things, but I'm continuing on because I'm addicted. And if you would have come to my, my class and my singles ministry and heard me in those days, you would have heard things that sounded a whole lot like John MacArthur with just funnier stories. <laughs> you know, I had to make it my own somehow. So, you know, you'd throw in your own little illustrations to, so you can sleep at night, I guess. And, and so I'm coming through the book of First John, and I came through, I, I, I can't remember now, this is years ago, Came through about 25 cassette tapes, and we finally got to chapter 5, and I'm listening to him teach verse 6. Okay, and so he's teaching through verse 6. I'm minding my own business, taking copious notes. And then he says, now, verse 7. I'm, I'm quoting. If verse 7 is in your Bible... Do yourself a favor and just put an X through it. And he said, and I know, I know what you're thinking. He, he said, you're thinking, John, how can you say that? He said, well, it is a scribal error. And suffice it to say, it doesn't belong. Now, verse 8. What just happened there? <laughs> and and uh, it was very unsettling to me, and, and sad to say, I just passed it off as, wow, man, I got a whole lot more to learn, I guess. And time went on. I became the pastor of this very church, and I will say in a f just a relatively few years, God began to open my eyes to the issue that we have gathered in this conference to talk about. Okay, so now, for those of you that were here in those days, this is prior to church history, okay? This is why church history happened, okay? But, okay, so I'm still rather addicted at this point. For those of you, you know, I'm sure those, the home folks, you've at least heard of Pastor Frank that was a, a dude that got saved in about the same period of time in my youth group in Miami, and we kind of uh, did life together through Bible college, got separated, and got joined up here as, as partners in, in ministry. And uh, so uh, Frank and I were going to go out uh, to the Shepherds Conference. We hadn't, you know, gotten completely unaddicted, even though God was teaching us some, some pretty fantastic things about this Bible. And, and so Frank was still the youth pastor at the time, so we go out to the conference. He went to the youth track, and I, I went to what was the expository preaching class. And again, that's what got me hooked on John MacArthur in the first place, is wanting to learn how to teach book, books of the Bible. And so I, I'm, I'm sitting in my expository preaching 
class, and the lecturer is going on, there's, oh, the, the, the manual was this thick, almost everything that he was saying was verbatim in, 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 in that notebook, and we came to a section where he, he said this, I, I, I'm not quoting verbatim, but listen, I've told this story so many times, and I've got it memorized, I may miss a word, but this is, this is what it said in the syllabus, this is what I was being taught. What he said was, because the knowledge of the original languages are outside of the realm of the common man, it is the job of the expositor to give the common man what he can't get for himself. And I looked at that, and I thought, wait till Frank hears this. <laughs> so those of you who know Frank know that his mind is like a, you know, bing, 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 bing. So he's bored out of his gourd in the youth track, and, but it's all the same syllabus. And so he, he says, I wonder what Mark's learning in his. So he pulls over, not knowing where we are in that section, and he reads this part, and he goes, oh, wait till Mark hears about this. <laughs> and so the next thing after that session was, was lunch. I can't wait. Okay, there's hundreds and hundreds of men in this where we were going to eat. I'm, I'm looking all over for Frank, and I finally see him, and I see him going. <laughs> and I'm like, it, it, Frank could, he, my, my kids can hear this over a, a jet plane. <clears throat> they just, and they'll look. <laughs> you know, uh, Dad wants me. Frank got it, man. I could get his attention in this church with a, <clears throat> Frank, whatever he's doing, look, look, what, 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 what's Mark got to say? So I went, <clears throat> so he goes, he comes up, dude, you're not going to believe this. I said, dude, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I, I said, let me go first. You won't believe. And I, I take the syllabus and I say, look at this statement that they just, and he goes, I know, that's the same. I was, I was bored, and my man, I saw that, and I was like. <laughs> so right after lunch, uh, it was question and answer time with John MacArthur. Okay, all of you home folks from the, the day know what happened. Frank is the first one to that microphone. <laughs> uh, if, if this tells you anything, no, no joke, Brett Bartlett was, uh, Frank Pardue was Brett Bartlett's youth pastor. That tell you anything? <laughs> In the best possible way, man, the mantle of Frank has fallen to Brett. But, uh, okay, so it's, it's question and answer time, and uh, Frank's a little nervous. He, he didn't get nervous about much, but this is our guru. And so uh, they, they set up the mic about halfway back, and uh, so, you know, they do all the, the shenanigans, and they open it up to the, the question, and so Frank is saying, uh, yes, Dr. MacArthur, um, I, first of all, let me just thank you for your ministry, man. I, I've learned so much of the Word of God through, you know, the things that you, you've taught, but, you know, if, if I may, you know, in the expository preaching part in the syllabus, it says this, and so he read that statement, you know, the common man and, and, and so forth, and Frank says, you know, I don't know, it, it, I, my mom lives in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, and every day she opens her Bible and she she reads the Word of God. And are are we saying by this that my mom can't know the Bible? And so this was his answer. Well, I mean she she could know enough to be saved, but to ever really know the Word of God. You know, she's going to have to sit under the ministry of somebody that is uh, giving him the original languages. And Frank said, wow, if, 
if a common man can't get it, I mean, does it, does it need to be known? And he said, if it's in the word of God, it needs to be known. And ooh, he comes on. Caught himself and says, okay, let, let, let me tell you the difference between us and the Catholic Church. Nobody brought up the Catholic Church. <laughs> but he's a smart feller, as we say. And he says, uh, he, let me tell you the difference between us and the Catholic Church. The, the Catholic Church didn't want the common man to get the Word of God. We want to give them the Word of God. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine then. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm telling you all, that literally happened, man. And, and so Frank just bowed out and we never went to another one again and we said, you know what, we're going to teach church history. Um, it sounds real nice to say we want to give the Bible to the common man. But may I say to you, my brothers and sisters, in the final analysis, what we end up with is a priest class over the common man. And the reality is, in most cases, it's not really the pastor that is the final authority. It's the pastor's guru. <laughs> because most pastors don't study. They listen to somebody and they parrot him on Sunday morning and throw their illustrations in. Let me tell you how I know that. <laughs> because the fact is, most pastors themselves don't have anything close to a working knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. But when you, you really boil it down, the final authority is a man. And the reason I keep saying that is because in their systematic, as they clearly documented for us, the Bible that both the people carry into the church and the pastor stands before the people and opens isn't the final authority. Because they said the final authority is the original manuscripts. Isn't that what they said? But since the original manuscripts don't exist, the final authority then becomes the guy at the front of the room that is flapping his gums. <laughs> it becomes the expositor. It becomes the priest over the common man, giving him what he can't get for himself. And so, I get to tell you what is the best word here. And I get to tell you what is a terrible translation here. And I get to tell you what verse is and isn't in the Bible. You know, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this illustration, okay? You see my dog up here? <laughs> is that the prettiest coat you ever saw in your life? Listen, this is the friendliest dog you have ever seen. And he just loves people. Man, isn't he nice? Isn't he? Um, hey, hey, Tobias, man, he's looking over at you, man. He wants you to come. Would you come over here? Here, here pet him. Oh, well, hold up. He's over here. Oh, oh, oh doggone it. He's over here. <laughs> Listen, do you know what I'm telling you right now? The imaginary dog is wherever I tell you he is because he doesn't exist. And so... 
Amen. Thank you. And so, since the original manuscripts don't exist, what is and isn't in the Bible is whatever I tell you. Now this in the original, and all the common men that got sucked into the vortex, okay, tell me what I couldn't know for myself. <laughs> the original manuscripts is like believing in an imaginary dog. You know what we call those people? Sickos. <laughs> And it ends up with a man being the final authority over the common man. So the second reason that we're not crazy for holding a King James Version only position is because we believe God's final authority is a book, not a man. <laughs> 